windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Ah, good Wednesdays. We get you ready for the rare Thursday night mid-season game, ETSU and Chattanooga. We'll hear from head coach Randy Sanders in just a moment. We'll also talk to Todd Agney, the color analyst for the Chattanooga Mocs. I'll bring up, uh, I'm going to lead with a favorite memory of mine uh, between me and Todd. I don't know if he'll remember it. We'll see where he takes it. And then the top 25 FCS, what we'll wrap the show up with today but we lead with uh, randy sanders back on his traditional monday press conference first of all their offensive line is good big they, they got some experience there they got some guys that are, are pretty impressive on film they got a quarterback that has some experience that's played a good bit receivers to me look like they're better than they were last year running back wise you know they, they've had to kind of play a new guy a little bit there they've been very efficient they haven't turned the ball over uh, much at all the last two weeks. I, I don't know exactly what the number is, but I think I read they're plus five in the last two games, something like that. You know, and if you're plus five in the turnover category, usually you got a chance to win, and uh, especially if you got a senior quarterback playing as well as, as their guy is. The thing I want to point out right off the top before we get to Nick Tiano is that running game. Olim Ford is the man that's quote unquote the new guy that they're playing that I believe is a transfer from Albany. Is that correct? No, he's actually the true freshman. He's the true freshman. Yeah. Ibatokin Hanks is, is the fifth year. Yeah, the transfer from Albany, who's uh, two weeks ago had 125 yards on the ground. Ford 195 yards two weeks ago, and he carried the ball 30 times. And then, as if that workload wasn't enough against Mercer in that 34 to 17 win, he carries the ball even more. Goes uh, 32 for 116 and a touchdown. You rarely. In this football day and age, rarely see a guy get 30 carries on back-to-back weeks. We'll mention that stat and kind of bring in some stuff with the Bucks with Ty Dagny here in about 15 or so minutes. But it's new for Ford and Ibatoken Hanks because Tyrell Price, you remember him from last year, I think he had 14 carries, 33 yards, a touchdown against DTSU. He tore his ACL, so he is out. And then also this past week, by the way, Jeffrey Wood the second gained 94 yards on the ground or 74 yards on the ground I should say eight yards a carry so they've got a lot of guys that can do it in the backfield and ETSU it's good that they're getting healthier because they're going to need all the bodies I think up front they're going to be able to muster this week well it's for Chattanooga last year is basically Price was the lone back and and would get if they ran a ball 22 times he would get 20 carries and for this year again it's a new staff uh, Rusty Wright takes over he's a Chattanooga guy he's an alum he's got Many, many ties to Chattanooga. It was a it seemed like a no-brainer hire when, when I saw his name when they announced he would be the new head coach. And he, he seems to have brought more of a run style or at least a balanced attack where we saw Nick Tiano last year throw the ball 50, 60 times a game. 
now uh, it, it's really about 50-50. In the last two or three games, it's actually been flipped. It's about 60-40 run pass and because they've been so successful on the ground we'll ask Todd Agney is that really by design is it because it's just it's hard to argue with the results but the one thing that is not hard to notice is that they've put three four different running backs and whoever's had the hot hand it seems like they've been able to ride because I think they've had uh, uh, three if not four different rushers be the leading rusher for a game and so to me it's dangerous because you look at Ford who gets at least to start most of the time, you know, the true freshman is thrown in there because Price, the senior, uh, was knocked out with that ACL for the year. Then uh, uh, EB Token T- Hanks is the new guy from Albany. I think he's third, um, fourth, something like that on career active FCS rushing list. So you look at uh, what Elijah's been able to do, and, and they're they're just different runners, uh, I think, when you look at that. And then uh, you mentioned Woods, the second. Now, Jeffrey Wood, the second, is a – uh, a guy that's been around a little bit, sophomore out of Knox Catholic High School, but he he's a guy that has been able to to come in as well. So three, four different guys. Whoever's had the hot hand, and they're all different runners. I've watched them all. They, they're nobody looks the same. You know, sometimes like when you watch Wisconsin, it doesn't really matter who the running back is. It's just a different name on the back of the jersey because Melvin they Gordon, look the exact Dane, same. Jonathan Taylor, yeah, right. Uh, uh, yeah, but, I mean, they, they look almost the exact same body type. They're like they know exactly what they want, you know, and so that's the type of runners they get. Just Chattanooga backfield, you know, they've got a, a little bit of a shifty guy. they got a north and south. They've got a guy that can make people miss. They've got a bruiser that can run over. I mean, it's really kind of all over the map of, of the type of runners they got. And it just seems like whoever's had the hot hand, they, they're smart enough to keep giving them the football. And Tiano will run a bit. I mean, he ran for 49 yards. He's very yards athletic, too. Last week, and then two weeks ago, he ran for 33 yards. You mentioned the ratio. Two weeks ago, it was like 3 to 1. They ran the ball 54 times, threw it 18 times. And then last week, it was 53 to 31. Here's one area I think that, and Randy Sanders is always very complimentary to the opponent, as are most coaches, right? You're not going to go and give them bulletin board material, put something out there for the other coach, Rusty Wright in this case, or players to be like, well, he doesn't think anything of Nick Tiano. Like, who is he? Let me go out and throw for five touchdowns. I asked him in the press conference, what do you think's been going on with Nick Tiano? Because there was a lot expected of him this year. You looked at some lists and people thought he was a top two or three quarterback, if not the best quarterback, maybe outside of Tyree Adams in terms of all-around players in the Southern Conference this year. But he's thrown seven interceptions and he's only got five touchdowns. He has thrown an INT each of the last two games now with that running game obviously there hasn't been as much pressure on him he's probably adapting to a little bit of a new system with Rusty Wright he's got Bryce Nunley back but there's some other kind of moving parts outside of Nunley in terms of other pass catchers on the team so maybe he's not on the same page with all of them so there's a lot going on with Nick Tiani you heard right at the end of that bite he said that being coach Sanders well, he's doing a great job, and sure, he's going to play well against us. Uh, I think there's some areas where ETSU can capitalize there because the secondary is so strong, but uh, we'll digress and talk about more, that more in a second. It's not a matter of needing to put different players out there. It's just a matter of making plays when we when we need to make them and just, just playing. I, I tell our guys, I, I still feel like we're a good football team. We didn't play very well in the last game, and, and we missed some opportunities against Furman. You know, last game against Wofford, we, it was probably the worst game we have played this year, but it was probably the best team we have played this year, App State notwithstanding. Wofford played very well against us. Um, only turnover they had was kind of a Hail Mary right before halftime. We got to try to create more turnovers, got to try to do some things, but nobody is helping us a whole lot. 
one of the biggest difference between this year and last year. Last year it seemed like teams helped us. This year nobody's helping us, and we got to go make those plays ourselves. So to tie in the previous soundbite and talking about Nick Tiano, I think there's going to be opportunities there for turnovers. ETSC only has four interceptions this year, had 15 last season. Now, granted, that was a number that drastically went up from the previous three years. So is that the outlier? I guess that's possible. But there's playmakers in the secondary. There's Artavia Smith, who's got three interceptions. That right now leads the Southern Conference. Tyree Robinson last year led the Southern Conference in interceptions. You've got Jeremy Lewis. So it's all over the board with the talent that can make those plays. you just got to make them. They also had six in one game. Fair. Which also, and then at zero in the same game the next year. So even right. if you even if you took that off, I feel like they're sort of on pace. Yeah. I, I guess that was my point. If you, you know, four out of that, you know, if you, so nine halfway through the season. Yeah, eight, yeah sure. You, you could you could you could make a case that they're still uh, VMI was standing. And again, a lot of credit. And I know we we try to bring it up, but Reese Udinsky has not thrown an interception this year. Where he threw eighteen last year, so right. he's done a good job taking care of it. The shocking thing. I think is the fact a few weeks ago when Chattanooga ran for 400 plus yards against Western Carolina, and that's just not something you think when you think Chattanooga, you don't think in the last 25 years 400 yards rushing. Think Citadel, think Wofford, right? You, Probably not. It's not one of the. You know, Chattanooga has been a, a either a balanced or a pass heavy offense for quite some time, especially when Coach Usman was there. But they ran for 400 yards, and you know, you mentioned Jeffrey Wood. I was kind of laughing because I thought this was the game. He had six touches and had th- three touchdowns. He, wow. had, he had two on the ground and caught one, and was just just all over the map. And again, he you know, Ford had 195 yards. Uh, Eb Token Hanks had 125 in that. Woods had just 22 yards, but two touchdowns. And then he had a, a one reception for 28 yards and a score. That was the weekend where everybody in the league themselves had more total offense than each issue and Furman combined because Western also, and this is what I was going in the second half of this, Western ran for 423 yards mm. against Chattanooga, which I can't remember the last time Chattanooga's given up 400 yards rushing, even playing Wofford and Furman in some of those, in Citadel and some of those What teams. was the last time two teams combined for 836 rushing yards in the same game? Uh, That's insane. I mean, there was only four rushes that were negative yards. I mean, and, and well, I guess technically in college, sacks count as a rush. So if you add that in, there's there's eight. But if you took the sacks out and just go pure rush, there were five carries between the two teams that were negative yards. And they carried the ball combined 109 times, just to put that in perspective. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it, – it was a lot of plays. And, and, and the score showed that, right? It went 60-something. To... 60 to 36. Now, yeah, that game it, was closer than it appeared. It was 44 to 36 going into the fourth quarter. So there was some work still to be done for Chattanooga. And give credit to them because they did do it. They got a touchdown from, in the fourth quarter, Ford and Wood. A field goal from Almo and then Ford and Wood. Yeah, so so they got 17 points that fourth quarter. And and then you're looking the next week, and they they were able to force turnovers. And Coach said it, I think, in the bite before that, but the five turnovers, maybe it was this bite, but the five turnovers plus five for Chattanooga has certainly been a, a change from where they have been um, in the past and where they've been struggling. But, you know, they turn around with a 400-yard rushing game against West Carolina and then turn around against Mercer and throw, again, 225 rushing yards on the board, 190 yards passing. But the, the four turnovers against Mercer helped them. And if Mercer doesn't even have the kick return for touchdown, Mercer would have really been struggling in that contest. We've had good tape. You know, Mercer was playing really, really well early. It was interesting watching – Mercer's offense against Chattanooga at one point there was like five or six guys in the game for Mercer's offense that didn't have their name on the back of the jersey you watch them a couple weeks ago everybody had their name on the back which tells you that's some new guys playing that's some guys they weren't really counting on being in the game that suddenly have been forced to play 
looks to me like they've been hit with a little bit of the injury bug, and that, that can certainly, you get many injuries, that can put you in the quote-unquote lower tier. Western Carolina, you know, they played uh, the first part of that game without Adams at quarterback. Once he came in, it was a very competitive game at that point. Of course, they were kind of behind the eight ball when that happened. So good tape to look at. Chattanooga is very uh, diverse on defense, do a lot of different things. They're very similar to, uh, I think, our defense up front with their front seven and how they do things, a little different in the in the secondary and the coverage package. You know, with the games we got, I, I feel like we got some pretty good games to look at. You know, James Madison w- was a good game because their offensive scheme is very similar to ours. Tennessee with uh, Coach Chaney, what they're doing. Terminology in many cases is almost the same, but the scheme is basically the same. Obviously, it's tailored to their people and ours is tailored to ours, but it's essentially the same scheme. You look at it, you pretty much know what play is called so there, there's some good tape out there to look at i let me just say this i was very impressed with the breakdown there oh, of, of the the play it, it shows you it's interesting when you talk to coach sanders and and i've talked to him in the hallway and my, my running joke is now how much tape have you seen on whatever and of course he's like we well, you know rusty wright was at uh, georgia state and then I, I've, I've watched you know eight games of that <laughs> i watched uh, you know he's 15 16 games in he's right. like and at some point he just looks at me and goes you know if we go in this set I, I've, i'm 97 percent confident they're going to give me this look defensively and you're going how and 97 like, percent is probably the exact number he means too it's oh, not oh, rounding to no, 100 no i think like, he, exactly. because he gives me numbers like that 94 percent right. chance like like he's very well versed into knowing and and i think he is huge on the tendencies of what teams do with the coordinators and will watch games not just that year of that team, but if a coordinator wasn't with that team from the previous year, he will watch tape from that year. I mean, he went back for Appalachian State. Again, now that it's first game of the year, you have a lot more time to watch tape. But he went back to two different stints, not at NC State, but went to Georgia Tech to watch stuff. So, I mean, right. it was interesting to see – how he knows sort of what kind of game to call and and having it played and to me I read in that okay since our system I know exactly what terminology that play is for us and did that play work I know that this play with our personnel would be good or this play would be bad I, I think that's what you have to read into that it's not that he knows okay every play that I saw I could read I know is going to be good against this I think he, when he threw that it's tailored towards our personnel he knew okay with tennessee's personnel they can do that running this way blocking this right we may not etsu to do it that way blocking that but we can run a similar play maybe the opposite direction doing this you know what i mean so it was interesting that was interesting for me to to hear that bite because i'm always intrigued by how much he is studies and tries to that game within a game figure out what the defense is going to give him a look in what he's doing because coach is always talking about well hey we run things four or five weeks in a row it's where he talks a lot about trey mitchell he runs exactly what i'm to run he's throwing it where i think he should throw it because in week five or six when i know i'm going to get this certain look from a different team we're going to change it up and he's not going to throw it to that guy right. he's going to throw it to somebody else and everybody else knows i'm throwing it to this guy right so that's what i love about the game within the game i love talking to coach sanders because now that we've been working together a while he'll give me tidbits like that that we don't share all the tidbits obviously with with everyone but that is one that i do find interesting that he gave a bite about the schemes and terminology and then it tells me i think he felt pretty good about what place he thinks will work but he also said and maybe that first bite it just comes down to execution right comes down to not putting players in different positions or or doing anything crazy just need everybody to do the right thing and execute 
I think this is going to be a really interesting contest. It was a really good one last year, 17-14, uh, to 14, if you remember. It was 17 nothing at the half. It seemed like Chattanooga maybe ran out of time a little bit. They were charging hard in that fourth quarter, and it ended up being 17-14. to 14. That improved the Bucks to 3-0 and in the Southern Conference at that time, and that's when you really started to see that ETSU might be for real. Right, that the momentum was building. Started to believe a little bit yeah, because I think exactly. Chattanooga was ranked twentieth, if I'm yeah, not were, mistaken, yeah. right? Number so. twenty-four in one poll, number twenty in another. So at that time, it was like, wow, okay, well, just beat a ranked team. Granted, it was at home, but the home field advantage is kind of real. Another close win. It started to seem like eh, maybe there's some divine intervention type stuff going on here. Where we're winning all the close ones, and you've got all these guys on the team that want to win and have been here a while and are in it for the right reasons. And now you're three and zero, oh, and you are almost halfway through the Southern Conference season. Like, what can happen? Now you're shoe on the other foot a little bit, right? 0-3 right now going into this game, and you've got to get a win. If you want to have any, I'm guessing, any of your goals alive, and Coach Sanders doesn't really talk openly with us about goals, quote-unquote, but any of your goals still alive from the preseason. And this is one where if you can get this victory, that can kind of snowball going forward, right? I mean, you've got some winnable games the rest of the way. At Sanford, home to Citadel, at Western, and at home to Mercer. This is not something we're going to talk about in the top 25 at the end of the show, but look at the teams that ETSU has played this year at this point in the season, right? Appalachian State is one of, like, 15 teams left that's undefeated in the FBS. Okay, shorter, obviously. That was always going to be one-sided. I think they've still lost every game this year. I think there are like 45 losses in a row or something like that. Throw that game out. VMI, 3-1 and one now in the Southern Conference, 4-3 and three overall. Austin P is now ranked number 20 in the FCS Stats Top 25 because they just pulled an upset last week to replace the previous number 20 team in the poll. Furman is up to number 8, I think it is, this week in the FCS Stats Top, top 25, and then Wofford, obviously, we know what they can do, and they're a defending champion, and they're so solid every year. They, went, they win another one. They'll be back in the poll. Certainly, they're going to be back in the poll, too. So you look at this schedule, and you've got an undefeated team in the FBS, the top three teams in the SOCON, and then a number 20 team in the country in Austin Peay. So that's pretty aggressive early on, and considering the drop-off, or so it would seem, in quality of opponent going forward, I still think there's plenty to play for in the season. I know we said it Monday, but just breaking it down a bit further with the poll coming out, and we'll do that again in the third segment as well, but seeing Austin P in it, seeing Furman up to number eight, knowing what Wofford can do, looking at Appalachian State being 5-0. and We have to have a little if bit you look of at it, if you If you look at it from just you know doing the old Coach Sanders opportunity, right? If you win the rest of your opportunities, you know, it'd be hard-pressed to figure out if, if somebody would hold you out of the playoffs. If, if you're still going with playoffs, now it'd be three losses and Sun Conference down, but if you rattled off six in a row, right, now that, that would that would mean you'd have to win an FBS game. But if you rattled that <laughs> off and you're sitting there and you're going, okay, you're eight and four with an FBS win, you're, you're telling me even though you have three Southern Conference losses, somebody would hold you out of the playoffs. I don't think so. So I think – now, is that slim eight beating um, – the, winning the rest of the game? Sure, sure it is. And I'm not sitting here saying – absolutely you can book that or, or you can see everything's going but i'm saying there's a lot to play for is ultimately what i'm saying the season is not dead and buried you could still win the five remaining conference games finish five and three in league play you would be seven and was that seven and three against non-fbs teams um you know it's still pretty solid year and even if you said fcs and you threw shorter out on the opposite end of that you're six and three in fbs games against again with Austin P being ranked two, so there's still a lot to play for. You still could play yourself into a, at least to be back in the conversation, right? But it starts with Chattanooga, which has had two tight games with ETSU. There was the pillow fight from a couple years ago, the ten three game, last game of the year. Nothing that, to play I'm for. I'm just saying, side. if if 
the punt wasn't blocked, Marion Watson's punt wasn't blocked, we'd still be playing that three years later. <laughs> Nobody was going to score to win that game. That was just a defensive uh, slugfest that was uh, pretty brutal to watch on, on many fronts because neither offense literally did anything. But I think if you look at that game, you look at last year, I think Chattanooga had a lot of high hopes. ETSU squashed that kind of early. It was the first year of the, the rail rivalry. There were a lot of people didn't even know if Chattanooga was even respecting the rail, if they were even going to come get it if they won. ETSU paraded it around, showed it off to them. So it will be interesting to see um, how that goes and if what happens to the rail moving forward as well. But all things point to – this should be a tight contest, and the winner of this, at least I think, could be propelled for the rest of the year. And Chattanooga still has some quality opponents to play, but if they were to lose this game, would it put them in a tailspin, or would they be able to recover again because they've still got to play VMI, they've still got to play Wofford, they've still got to play Furman, and so and they still got to play Sanford. So they still got a little bit of some upper echelon teams to go. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. And if ETSU wins that, then what does that mean? Can they go on the road again to beat Samford? Can they come home and hold serve against, you know, two teams they probably should beat in Citadel Mercer? What about Western on the road in which ETSU never, never, ever plays well in Cullaway? That's always concerning because for whatever reason, that place is just – it's kind of like playing at, at Furman in basketball. It's just one of those places like you can't figure out why it's tough to play there. For ETSU, it just is uh, for one of those situations. But anyways, uh, I, I think that either way, the winner of this is going to get a little bit of a second half of the season boost. To me, I'm feeling a red zone interception. There's a couple things that have to happen in this game for ETSU to win. I think you have to force two or more turnovers. Uh, if you do that, and there are going to be chances, Nick Tiano turns the ball over. Now, Olim Ford really doesn't. He's been very good holding onto the football, and Ibatokan Hanks is very seasoned. He's probably not going to give it away, but they're going to throw. It's not likely to be a 60-run to 20-pass type game. It's possible. They did it two games ago. But if you're in the contest and it's the type of game that you want to create, I think you're going to want the ball in Nick Tiano's hands more than keeping it on the ground. The opponent against DTSU in the red zone is 20 for 20 in scoring it's this year. change. 17 touchdowns. Well, that's the one that's really got to change. Like, 20 for 20 is not good to begin with, 17 but 17 touchdowns. out of the 20 are touchdowns. That's got to change. So I'm seeing if ETSU is going to win this contest, in the red zone you're going to make a stop or two and you're going to force two or more turnovers and no better way to do both of those things than combine the two. Get a pick in the red zone and bust some of the hopes and confidence and uh, really turn the game on its head against Chattanooga, you know, or really put the nail in the coffin, right? I mean, that it depends on what point in the game it is. It depends when all this happens. But I think if you can do both those things, you're in really good shape. I, I think taking one thing away, whether it's the pass or the run, I think if they allow Chattanooga to still be – uh, you know, two-dimensional. I, I think that's going to hurt uh, ETSU because it'll just be too tough if the run game's going then they get that play-action pass going or they, they they get a chance to really go, you know, whether they shut down the run or they shut down the pass. I think they're going to have to try to make Chattanooga one-dimensional in one form or fashion to help out things. And then on offensively, they just got to make plays. You know, not necessarily every big play. But they're, they're definitely going to have to make enough plays to keep the chains moving like they did against Furman. And then if they have an opportunity to to hit a big play, whether it's a, a run where a guy barely gets tripped up or we've seen plenty of times a guy in open field trying to make a cut, slips and falls, 
you know, we've seen that happen a lot. We've seen the pass game with drop passes or a wide receiver's open in the pass. Now, like, they have to tighten those things up offensively and then try to make Chattanooga, um, you know, less dimensional, on, you know, one-dimensional on uh, offense and try to slow them down. And the special teams is another one. I mean, Chattanooga, you look at it, and, I mean, Alom's been the kicker for three years, but his long is 44 yards, and I think he's only two for six mm. and 40-plus yards in his career which for a guy has been kicking three years, that seems a bit odd. Uh, Colin uh, Brewster, the four-year punter, has had his worst average over his four-year career. So interesting to see that. And then, of course, the kick coverage game, which Chattanooga's generally been pretty good at because they generally have great speed, they've struggled at. They've seen the uh, two big kickoff returns. One's been housed on them. The other one went for like 78 yards and you know set a team up already in the red zone. And so they're not really punching the ball through the end zone on the kickoff, so there could be opportunities for the special teams to make a play. In the same token, ETSU's been better special teams the last couple of games, but they have to continue that because there have been spurts where they've not been good on special teams. So uh, I think I covered everything, offense, defense, special teams. Attaboy. There you go. Wait, wait, wait to ride the fence, right? <laughs> wait to give you some in-depth stuff. All right, let's, uh, let's talk to Todd Agnes uh, dialing in right now as we speak. We'll be back 30 seconds. We'll talk to him after this time out there from Sando's sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandos and the Sidekick back with you. Segment two on this Wednesday. We get you ready for tomorrow night's game, ETSU Chattanooga. It doesn't get any bigger than that for me as I'm a longtime Buck and uh, love the Bucks mock rivalry. A couple years ago, I've told Mike Gallagher the story. One of my favorite things was uh, normally you're not next to the other broadcast team, but right before halftime there was a dust-up. And uh, ETSU Chattanooga, rivalry old, right? You know, some guys ex- exchanging pleasantries, you know, where you're going to meet after dinner and all that stuff. And next thing I know, there's a tap on a window and Chattanooga, their uh, broadcast team, the longtime color man, Todd Agnick, taps on the window, makes some fisticuffs as if I want a piece of Todd. And, <laughs> and the truth is, I'm 0 5 and 1 in bar fight, so I declined. But uh, Todd Agnick joins me now. Todd, you are a, a, a fan like me that grew up watching ETSU in Chattanooga and having what I call sports hate. You know, there's no real hate for the town of Chattanooga or anything like that, but it's just sports hate where you just hate everything about the mocks, and I'm sure the mocks hate a lot about uh, uh, not Johnson City specifically, but they hate ETSU and the Bucks. And the problem is it was really just us having that. It wasn't the players, but now they've got a couple games into it. Do you think now the players are starting to realize there's a bit of a rivalry? Well, first thing, let me say this. If there's a bar fight between you and me, somebody's going to get their first win. So <laughs> don't don't sell yourself short on that. The answer to your question is yes. The way East Tennessee State came out last year and physically punched Chattanooga in the face and in the gut um, really kind of set the tone, I think, in this week leading up the last two weeks since both teams have had an off week 
has kind of set that tone. And we, we, uh, I, I personally enjoy hate in football. I, I enjoy fans in basketball, in football, in all sports that take it personally. And I think that from year to year, there's been some, there's been some of that that's gone on in this relationship, whether it be basketball or whether it be football. And I just think it is such a great atmosphere. And I look forward to it, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. And uh, there is probably some lingering memories in this team's mind about how last year went down. And the one thing I think about football more than most sports at at uh, our level, at the FCS level, you know, the basketball teams really don't have a lot of – they have a, a couple guys on each squad from Tennessee, right? But there's not a lot of uh, guys that played against each other that much in high school or they might even been high school teammates but in this matchup especially in football when you're looking at 100 plus guys on each team there are guys that played against each other's rivals in high schools and you have former teammates there just seems to be more um into the game and the rivalry itself in football than i think in some of the other sports that chattanooga and etsu compete at oh i would agree 100 percent. there's that cross-contamination that goes on and not only did we play each other but maybe we were on opposite all-star teams together um, we were being recruited by the same schools, and so there's that familiarity that goes into it, and there's that desire to beat somebody that you know. You you want to win that game, and I think you you know you put all of that into the recipe, and it makes for a real fun Thursday night. Our visit with Todd Agney of the Chattanooga Mox Radio Network. He'll have the call for Chattanooga on Thursday. Let's talk a little bit about the the coach uh, Rusty Wright. He is, uh, you know, a Chattanooga, I think, through and through. I thought it was a, a great hire when Tom Arthur left to take the job at Akron. Talk about the biggest difference, you think, bringing a Chattanooga guy in like Rusty Wright as opposed to Tom Arthur. I'm not saying bad about Tom Arthur, just, you know, obviously getting kind of one of your own back. Sure, and I, I would I would answer that, that question with two different thoughts. One is he's a very committed alum, so um, – he loves to see he never moved from Chattanooga even when he was at Georgia State the last two or three years he he kept his home here his daughter graduated from high school here so he's remained committed to the city and this is a job that he clearly wanted and clearly deserved Um, the other thing is he's a very intense coach that understands what it takes to win at this level and I have seen coaches that have either come up to this level or come down to this level, really not aware of what kind of talent it takes to win, especially when you're you're coming from Division One or Division Two football. What you had there that could win you a championship is not the same talent you need at the FCS to win a championship. So the first thing he did with his intensity was he poured it into recruiting, going out and finding kids that wanted to transfer, that hadn't made a commitment yet, that maybe were in the portal, and he was able to identify those guys and say, you've got the talent that it takes to win here. And I I think sometimes people don't understand just how good you have to be to play championship ball at this level. Speaking of championships, Todd, we do a segment on the show called Bold Predictions, and me and Jay, of course, are naturally (laughs) horrible at our bold predictions. But so far, one of my bold predictions is looking all right, a long-term one for the season in the FCS. I said Chattanooga, and better believe I caught some hate for this from the ETSU side. Chattanooga would be the league winners of 
the Southern Conference this year in football. Now, 2-0 and so far in the Southern Conference, but what do you think their ceiling is considering the schedule is so hard to tell what they're going to be on a week-to-week basis? You start with Eastern Illinois, who hasn't won a game so far this year. Then James Madison, Tennessee, and Jacksonville State. We know the credentials of a Jacksonville State and a JMU. Of course, Tennessee and SEC side. And then Mercer and Western Carolina, probably two of maybe the bottom three if we're to project the league out of the bottom teams in the Southern Conference this year, if we're looking from now until the end of the season. What do you think the ceiling is? I wish I had a really good answer to help qualify my credentials on this, but I don't. I think this is week by week with this team right now, still trying to learn what they want to do. And um, I think the team in some way is trying to figure out to this degree, how do we consistently win? This is something that the mocks haven't done in the last two years. Um, I believe them to be a team that could compete with the top three teams in the league. So maybe that's the short answer. That's the best answer. That's where I am right now with them. Wofford, Furman, VMI, Chattanooga, it seems like right now would be the top four if you're to draw it out and map it out from what we've seen so far. Now, a big loss early in the season. Tyrell Price tore his ACL, running back that we know from previous years uh, here at ETSU, having played against him. A limb Ford, though, has come in and carried the ball 30-plus times each of the last two games with him gone, that being Price. And just so fans that are listening realize how rare that is on an ETSU field, the Bucks haven't rushed more than 25 times uh, except for one time when uh, I believe it was Fallon Lee, I think two years ago, ran it 29 times. So haven't reached 30 carries since football's been back, 29 once and then down to 25. What has Ford been able to do to pick up some of that load? And then you've also got a couple of other backs that have really filled in nicely. So a limb Ford doesn't hesitate. There's not a lot of indecision in how he's going to run the ball. He he has just enough patience for the hole to develop. He trusts the offensive line to do what they're supposed to do, set the edge, turn a guy in, and then there's no really there's no in, again there's no indecision. There's no bouncing around. There's no shifting. He's a downhill runner who has a second year. Um, he gives as much physically as he gets. And I had a chance to talk with him the other day at practice, and I said, you know, how's your body hanging or, or holding up? He says, I feel great. Because, you know, you worry about freshmen carrying the ball that much. Um, with everything that he has done, the one thing that's really caught my attention is he understands how to take care of the football at the college level. He has changed how he protects it when he's running. And so far, he has been able to uh, not turn the ball over, which is so critical when you have young running backs. But he is a bruiser. If you get a chance to see him on the field, um, you will have an appreciation for his body size. I think when you take a look at Chattanooga, and we're, we're talking, uh, once again, with Todd Agney, the uh, color analyst for the Chattanooga Mocks, Bucks and Mocks, Thursday, 7 p.m., the rare Thursday, 7 p.m. game. And, Todd, you know, last year it was really throwing the football. That that was the bread and butter. That's what everyone was concerned about when we saw Chattanooga come into Green Stadium a year ago. And, honestly, Nick Tiano got off to, to a little bit of a slow start, ended strong, 32 of 56, you know, one touchdown. And, and you knew he had, at least returning, he lost Will Young, but he had a, another quality deep threat and Bryce Nunley and I think those guys are maybe fourth or fifth in the the combinations uh, as far as touchdown receiver 
uh, quarterback to receiver combinations in Chattanooga history. You knew that was going to be one of his targets going into, but there's a few other names that Nick Tiano's been able to involve in the passing game. Well, first of all, Nick Tiano, the reason why he struggled last year against East Tennessee State is the Bucks wouldn't let him breathe. That was the most prepared defensive scheme I've seen in college football in a while in the Southern Conference. Um, whatever Coach Sanders saw, he exploited over and over and over again. Chattanooga could not really or did not adjust in that, and I thought that was just brilliant coaching by your defensive staff. And it actually sort of set a template for what happened the remainder of the year. Chattanooga never really got back on track after that game against East Tennessee State. I would say it wrecked the season for him. And so I just a ton of appreciation for what East Tennessee State did. Chattanooga was fortunate to hang around until the very end. But to bring it back to your point, um, yes, I mean, there's been the development of some wide receivers that early on we didn't know what was going to happen at tight end with Chris James, a converted quarterback. He has allowed Nick Tiano now to utilize the middle of the field. Um, Karen Summers, a transfer from Cincinnati, who wasn't able to play in the first couple of games because of some injuries. Now he is stretching the field vertically. Reginald Henderson is turning into a, a quality wide receiver who can run the deep out. And then Bryce Nunley all of a sudden has felt like he's out of jail because for the first four games, you just sat on him. You put a guy in front, you put a guy behind, you took away the safety blanket, and there was nobody else really that Nick Piano had any experience with. And so the passing game gets off to the slow start. And I, I really, again, I credit Chris James with learning how to run routes in that offensive front line, giving Nick some time to find the right guys. And I think the hope is there that if he gets accurate or if he refines his ability to get above 60% completion rate, that now you've got that one-two punch combination of running the ball and passing the ball that allows you to become a balanced offense. Well, ETSU had five sacks in that game against Chattanooga a year ago. (laughs) Only two sacks, though. I mean, considering the competition – that the mocks have played, and unless I, I looked at the wrong stat thing, which I, I, I personally could do, as, as Mike, I can, think I saw it too. No, I yeah. think that's right. So just giving up yeah. two sacks, considering that you've played the likes of Tennessee on the FBS level, and then two of the the, the top tier teams always winning their league and being in the playoffs, and Jacksonville State and James Madison, of course, James Madison, a national title winner from a year uh, or a few years ago. Uh, I mean, I think it's impressive to see how that – what is the difference in at least that? Because I would assume most people would have looked at what happened last year and how people were able to get to Nick Tiano. So what kind of philosophy change? Or is the line just a year older? Is Tiano getting rid of the football or a little bit of everything? Coaching is part of it. Um, Some veteran leadership on the offensive front line is a part of it. Kyle Muskelly, the center, um, has certainly been – um, a welcomed addition to the front line. He's he's nasty. He is smart. Um, Curtis McClendon, how many times do you see a 6'8 guard playing in college ball? And the answer is you don't often see that. Um, and so he has developed with the new coaching staff. And then Cole Strange, the other guy, uh, the other guard, um, probably the strongest on the offensive front line, Malcolm White, um, has that experience uh, at the tackle spot. The only question mark now is that with Harrison Moon out with a season-ending injury, he was the other veteran on the right spot. Uh, Colin Truitt um, has taken his place, and he seems to be uh, adapting well to his starting role, and so 
I, I, I believe more now than ever, or at least recently, that you win with your offensive and your defensive line and how you play up front. And this is a, a underrated, and I'm not going to say they're an elite offensive front line, but they're better than average. And by the end of the year, they might be one of the, the best in the Southern Conference. And I'm not going to I'm not going to make any wild accusations that they're going to be one of the, the best 15 in the country. But you know what? They do their job, which is they keep the quarterback standing upright, and they give him a chance to at least look over the wide receivers. And they have created space on the ground to run the ball, with the exception of maybe James Madison. Expanding on that defensive line a bit more, Todd, 30 sacks last year to just six this season. Is that a product of the competition they've faced, or is the pass rush a bit down this year? It's down. As I said, you know, you lose two guys. Um, Isaiah Mack, who's in the NFL. You lose another guy that gets NFL tryouts. And you're dealing with this new depth of cards. And you have a new defensive coordinator. And what he was striving for early was unity because the talent's just not at the same level. And this team has finally bought into the idea, I believe defensively, that we're better together than we are trying to be than having an individual style on defense. So you're going to lose some sacks on that because you just don't have that same defensive uh, end that you used to have when Russ Huseman was here with his defensive staff. And so you've got a little bit, I think the personnel is probably smaller. You have to get creative on how you get to a quarterback. And anytime you gamble, you gamble, right? And so how many times do you want to do that? And I, uh, I'll be interested to see what Chattanooga feels like that they need to be Thursday night. If they feel like they need to send um, one of those jokers off the edge, um, bring bring some pressure, maybe bring a linebacker. Ty Beck uh, has been getting better at disguising when he's coming and really has proved to me over the last couple of games that he can shoot the gap and he can get to the quarterback, but it's delayed stuff now. So if a quarterback is aware of that and he's throwing quickly that's not a problem for him but it's still tough uh i know you mentioned all the guys you lost but i'm still looking at this thing and and i'm looking at edwards and maxwell and cooper and Mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot of a lot Mm -hmm. of names a matter of fact that that wreaked havoc against etsu a a year ago so uh now granted there was nobody more happy to see isaiah mack go than than I was because it seemed like every time I looked up, he was in the, the, the backfield and not necessarily making a play, but just wreaking havoc and letting somebody else make the play. So uh, between him and Mahaffey, I certainly know that those two guys were lost. And I thought Kareem Moore uh, never got the, the quality um, respect from the rest of the league for what kind of talent he was in the secondary. But that being said, there's still some solid names there. And in special teams-wise, there's still I'm, – I'm looking at um, – you know, your your punter now, Brewer, what, four-year guy. You're looking at Ullman, the, the kicker. He's a three-year guy. So you have some, some quality special teams guys back as well. There are certainly some experience there, and this is where I think we're going to see a big change this week, and, and more than likely for both teams, is that special teams play gets a full week of attention. Kickoff, punt, field goal. Chattanooga's been gashed. They gave up a kickoff return last week. Uh, two weeks ago at Mercer. You don't see that a lot anymore. Um, They've had some punts blocked and tipped. And so protection on that has been a problem. But I suspect that, again, you've had Chattanooga, you get the week off, you play again on Thursday. So this has been, you know, this has been nice for them to work on that special teams play. And um, I think that 
to your point, if the veteran, if, if, if it hadn't been for veteran guys, it could be a lot worse. But hopefully that's getting better for both squads. Well, Todd, we appreciate your time today and dropping the knowledge about the Chattanooga Mocs. Look forward to seeing you on Thursday, my friend. Well, I look forward to uh, one of us getting our first win in that bar fight. <laughs> I'm taking you, Todd. Well, I don't know if there's a time limit draw. We could get that. I don't know. <laughs> well, we could, you're right. We could still both be winless. Well, that doesn't inspire me. No, no. <laughs> Neither does my fighting skills. So there you go. All right, Todd. Appreciate it, man. We'll see you. That's uh, Todd Agnew. When Thank we you. come back, we'll take a look at the FCS top 25 as Santos and the Sackett continue on this Wednesday. Back after this timeout on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Get out. SES stats, top 25 this week. NDSU, another destruction of a top 10 team this week. Saturday's victim, Northern Iowa, who were actually down by just four heading to the half, but would not score in half two. Three rushers of 80 yards or more for the Bison. Adam Cofield, a pair of fourth quarter touchdowns to wrap up the contest with a green and yellow bow. 46 and 14, the final, and they stretch out their lead up top just a bit over James Madison. The Dukes were down 24 to 17 after three quarters to Villanova, who entered the week ranked number five in the nation. But the Dukes get two long fourth quarter touchdown runs and a pick six from MJ Hampton in the same frame, that flipping the final on the Wildcats. Daniel Smith, 387 yards through the air with three scores, but the same amount of interceptions, very costly in the upset bid for Villanova. And JMU stays number two, 155 first place votes for NDSU, just two for JMU. So that gap that I believe was like uh, only 145 votes, now it's like 155 or something like that. Anyway, pretty big gap still, you can tell. You're not good at math, I know that, but you know that the gap between 155 and two, kind of big. Uh, it's huge, it's huge. Uh, I mean, it's 153, is that, is that right? Well done. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. You're back in class teaching. Perhaps you're learning from your students. Uh, it's not math. It is not math. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Well, that's probably yeah. good. For the accreditation of the institution, I think yeah. that's probably good. Yeah. SDSU, number three. Same deal for the Jackrabbits last weekend. They trailed going to the fourth quarter, but a pair of 60-plus yard touchdowns and a 13-yard C.J. Wilson run allowed SDSU to win by 10 over Youngstown State. Take out the 81-yard pass to Cade Johnson from Jabor Gibbs and a Gibbs 63-yard touchdown in the fourth, and the Jackrabbits had just 206 total yards, but the big play, the friend of the nation's number three team. Weaver State, Southern Utah was their opponent. They outgained the number four team in the country, 392 to 271, but for Chris Helbig interceptions helped number four stay at number four, a 29 to 14 win for the Wildcats who struggled with the one in six Thunderbirds, but Stan Pat 
despite the difficulties. Big move up the board this week for a team on a bye, and it's Montana. Three spots, and those reasons forthcoming. Montana, number five, is the best football in FCS being played in the state of Montana right now? Uh, no. Two top ten teams. Nah. I'm talking. No, you don't think so. Nah. You're saying the Dakotas because NDSU and SDSU number. I mean, one, that's number what I, was, I mean, th that was going to be my obvious. Separate one. states, though. They they are they are. But didn't uh, Montana State didn't Sacramento State beat them at Montana we'll, State? We'll talk in a moment. Okay. I'm Kennesaw just State. I, mean, I didn't think I forgot that in the country. Another elementary victory for the Owls. A one in five Charleston Southern team down twenty one nothing after just sixteen minutes, and it ends up as a blowout, forty five to twenty three. Up one spot, the Owls. Of course, you and me, I'm sure, very happy for them. Villanova number seven. So Montana hops Kennesaw. So to Villanova, who fall from five to seven after that loss to James Madison, albeit a close one. Furman number eight on a bye, as much of the SoCon was, up three spots to that number eight perch. They're, of course, the number one Southern Conference team in this poll. Number nine, Nichols, also up three spots. They only beat Northwestern State, who still don't have a win this year by 10, but it was never really that close. 24 to seven at the half, hung around. A 17-point game until a late touchdown that didn't factor into the outcome. Chase 4K'd 323 total yards and three TDs. The watch-listed QB for several major FCS awards is 4K'd, and he leads Nichols to the victory. And North Carolina A&T on a bye up three spots to number 10. So the top 10, NDSU, JMU, SDSU, Weber State, Montana, Kennesaw State, Villanova, Furman, Nichols, and North Carolina A&T. You're just giving me a nod of the head. Good for radio. I mean, you just... The only thing I, I think again, uh, you want to hear my complaint? Uh, well, of about, course, I about number six. I mean, uh, I mean, still. <laughs> oh, please! I mean, oh, hey, I mean, just, come on. You know, I'm always in on complaining about this number six. Oh, uh, just and I realize that Kennesaw's gone with the a couple teams canceled on them and they had to fill. But in the same token, just I mean, you look at it. They they beat they lost to Kent State, which is FBS. You give them that right, and it was a tight game. It was an overtime. The golden flashes. They beat point. Who? Exactly. High they, point? They won at Alabama State, the juggernaut. Low they, point. They uh, uh, won at Missouri State. They beat Reinhardt. And then they've gotten into their league play with Charleston Southern. Then they'll play Presbyterian. Then they'll play newcomer North Alabama, who was good at Division Two, But as we've seen, some of those teams make the jump. Not so much in FCS. And we'll, we'll wait and see. Monmouth. I, I don't even have that. Campbell. Yep. Hampton. Gardner Webb, then go back and look at any of the other top ten teams or top fifteen teams and look at their schedule. That that's my that's still a huge gripe. And I know you can only play these on your schedule. And you know Furman was one of the teams I think that backed out so that they could get a second FBS game in, and and maybe they'll be able to play instead of on the field. I think Nichols is probably the biggest one, besides Kennesaw State being on the 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 bad of it. I think Nichols has shocked me with a couple of their wins recently and probably out of anybody has made a liar out of me on this podcast as far as them um continuing to win and and, and play and then um it's just interesting how teams fall montana state loses at the time to an unranked team and just falls six you know it just so, so i can't quite figure out Wins a good win, wins a good loss. FC, are you going to jump on? We'll that? get that in a second. Okay. Kennesaw State, I do want to point out their FCS opponents they play this year. There have only been three of them of their six games. Their combined record five and twelve. And then there's the I don't know if point is D two or NAIA. I think Reinhardt's NAIA. Is that right? And so sure. lower division teams, yes. uh, a fifty nine nothing win and a thirty one to seven win. And I know that Reinhardt game was weather shortened, but still the one redeeming quality of the schedule is they only lost to Kent State by three. So I'll give them that. 
No and question. That was, and they were they were the big reason for the field hockey gate. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Uh which I never heard if it was settled or not. If field hockey is all up in arms still, or if they're, oh, I don't. I mean, know. somebody gave a false apology and everything. oh, okay, and everything's okay. Again. Yeah, sure. That's well, I mean, it just fell off. You know, if it was another sport, if up, it was another said. sport than female, so you weren't, field the, you weren't pounding the pavement to follow up on that with anybody. Uh, I, you know, it was in the news cycle for about three days. Okay, uh-huh. uh, then it happened for two days, and then finally, Kent State gave the. Well, our better judgment probably should have been to finish the thing. You yes. weren't going to go full investigative journalist on it and go to. I, mean, I can contact Temple if you want. Uh, that was one of the two teams. I mean, Connecticut may have been the other one. I, mean, I, think, okay. I think you probably should have done it. Yeah. Illinois State number eleven, a rather uneventful win for the Redbirds, twenty-one to seven. The final, Southern Illinois, the opponent, the Salukis get one hundred eight and a score from Ramir Elliott, but James Robinson thirty-one carries for one hundred fifty and a score of his own canceled out that contribution. Fine bounce back for Illinois State after that mauling by NDSU 37-3 two weeks ago. Montana State, number 12, a big fall this week as the Bobcats, as you've mentioned a couple of times, go down at home to Sacramento State. We're number six last week down to number 12 this week. It was 34-14 to Sac State after three. And unlike some of the comebacks mentioned above for JMU, SDSU, it wasn't coming for Montana State. Kevin Thompson, QB for Sacramento State having easily his best year. The redshirt junior throws for 290 yards and three scores, a career high, 1,735 yards and 19 touchdowns, and we're barely halfway through the season. And, oh, by the way, he also rushed for two TDs, all five that Sacramento State got, courtesy of the man under center. Central Arkansas, number 13, McNeese made it tight against our favorite Midwest team, Central Arkansas. Cody Orgeron throwing for 344 and four scores, but... Four Hayden Ray field goals, a difference. Pardon me. Goals. I was, I was talking wondering about I was soccer for a second. I was like, excuse me. I don't know what I'm – I'm going back to field hockey. I don't know. Every week we find a game that a kicker changed the game, really. That's one of the things I try and do here in the top 25. The Bears beating the Cowboys, the one this week, 40-31 to 31 the final. UCA getting two of those field goals from Hayden Ray late to make it a two-score game after McNeese cut it to 34-31 with 12 minutes left in the game. UNI, Northern Iowa, down four spots after that lost NDSU. Here's where I'll give the pollsters credit. You know, I don't like to do that. Neither do you. But Illinois State was number 10 heading into their loss against NDSU. They dropped four spots last week. UNI does the exact same this week. So there is some consistency. I I did enjoy that. I actually noticed that as well, that there were similar drops uh, in what happened. And both teams were given a little bit of respect for, you know, again, playing the number one team. Nobody in what 30 years it seems like beats North Dakota State anyway so yep. you just kind of kind of take that with a grain of salt Sacramento State number 15 we just talked about them the biggest rise this week they were unranked just outside the top 25 going into their battle with Montana State but now number 15 you see the loss by the Bobcats only dropping them six spots clearly I think the voters thought highly of Sac State to send them skyrocketing in the poll didn't think that back-to-back back huge wins yeah had much to do with Montana State so Montana State not penalized too bad where Sacramento State looked upon very favorably at number 15. Jacksonville State, the team that Chattanooga beat to open the year, Eastern Illinois, gave the Gamecocks a scare after JSU struggled with Tennessee State the week before. 28-20, to Jacksonville State wins on the road against Eastern Illinois, but a pair of one-score games against their last two opponents that have just one combined win this season. Not very convincing. Still, a one-spot bump this week up the pole. Princeton, number 17, another strong climb in the pole for the Tigers. 28-3, the win over Lafayette. Callen, 83 rushing touchdowns. Princeton has allowed just 43 combined points in their four games this season, up four spots in the seventh 
week of the stats. FCS Top 25. Princeton still undefeated. Towson, your Tigers, they take a Towson. tumble. They take a tumble. Boy, and they struggle. Three straight losses in wow. a row. Villanova and Florida, not bad beats, right? But Albany, who yeah. to their credit are now receiving votes in the poll, but a 38-21 to 21 loss at home, that's not a good loss. No, no. And that, that was the... That was the one disappointing uh, for me. But I, I, I agreed with the drop, though. You know, they dropped nine or ten spots. Probably could go even further than that. But um, I agree with that. The Princeton is interesting because, you know, they started the year in the top 25. And then because they don't play for like three, three weeks. weeks yeah. Then they're out of the top 25. And now it all works out. They won four in a row, and they're they're back in there. So, uh, Towson hanging on for dear life. They're very close to getting what I hate to see, which is the below – 500 uh, in the polls as opposed mm. to teams that only have one loss or zero losses that are still not ranked right now. Jeff Undercuffler, I know a great football name, one of your favorites, a great performance for Albany. 23 of 30, 380 and two TDs through the air to get the upset. Albany 24 of the final 31 to run away with that victory. Youngstown State, they're the ones that lost to SDSU. If you remember from earlier, they stay put at number 19 this week. And four of the final six teams are new in the poll. Austin P talked about that in the first segment. Told you last week to keep an eye on their matchup with Southwest or Southeast Missouri State, I should say. Ended up being one of the better matchups this past Saturday in the FCS. Ahmad Turner, two touchdowns on the ground, including the deciding score in the fourth quarter. Governors 28, Semo 24. Austin P literally takes Semo's spot, number 20 this week, as their opponent from last week, who were ranked the same, were also. Now, out of the top 25, though, are SEMO with Austin Pete knocking them off. Dartmouth, a second Ivy League team appears. The first 21 for the Big Green against Yale, and they wouldn't look back. Drew Estrada, five catches, 203 yards, and two touchdowns. The senior had 361 receiving yards in his career coming into that game. He helps Dartmouth get ranked for the first time this year. New Hampshire on the road against Stony Brook knocks the previous number 22 team from the poll and takes their spot as their own. Stony Brook was up four heading to the fourth, but Brian Espagne from Max Brosmer to take the lead. Then Jason Hughes, a 42-yard field goal to make the final 20-14. to 14. What do you think of this trend? Austin P taking the spot of SEMO that they previously held, 20 taking 20, and New Hampshire, 22 taking 22 from Stony Brook. I, I think that's exactly... Like no, that's exactly how I think it should be. I think if you knock off a team ranked above you, you take the rank. Yeah. And if you're not ranked, you take the rank. So what if it's an unranked team beating... I think South State? Carolina should have been like three in the country. <laughs> well, okay. uh, that's what I'm saying. Like that, it makes a lot of sense to me when you do that. UC Davis, speaking of losing oh, records geez. still in the poll, clinging on to poll life despite those four losses. But a good win this week. It was 34 to nothing before Cal Poly scored a point. UC Davis rolling in that matchup. We talked about Cal Poly last week because they almost pulled the upset against Montana State. This week, not so lucky. The Aggies still break their three-game losing streak, but they're still three and four. Delaware, a road bump for the Blue Hens as they were eviscerated by Elon, 42-7. to And still in the poll. 42 to 7. Lose by 35. And they're 500. 22 of 25 for Davis Cheek. 259 yards of the score. Efficient, effective. Elon, Delaware, down nine spots this week, but as you said, still in the poll. Were they really going to put five new teams in the poll, though? Well, I suppose they did with they Sacramento did. State, too. That was a sixth. Say. I mean, that's a lot. Considering they, I don't care. I like, think the first, I like. I don't really know that. I mean, I just. Um, I'm pretty sure the first six polls. It all works out. Like I, I mean, it, it, it. But it just works out. If you see Davis is out and they win five, you know, three, four, five more games, they get back in the poll. Like it's like Sacramento State is a. I mean, is a great example of you know what? You, you start winning games. You beat teams you're supposed to. You you get an opportunity. But Davis has had an opportunity to beat some of the upper echelon teams and have not. And I get they played upper echelon teams, so you want to 
reward them, but they're still three and four. So, I mean, Central Connecticut State is five and one. They're twenty fifth. Okay, their loss, only loss, was on that horrific punt yes. to Eastern Michigan, which yes. had a block punt with like twenty seconds to go. Yes. It was the only reason they lost. They beat two weeks ago your beloved Sacred Heart team, mm. twenty eight to three. Where Logan Marshy, yes, that Logan Marshy was held to ten of twenty eight passing. Shocking. 126 yards and two interceptions. This is my shock face. Okay. I'm just saying, but like you look at their schedule and their only loss was that on a punt to Eastern Michigan, and that is – and then they're 5-1, and they're barely, barely a blip on the radar. Meanwhile, you know, traditional teams that have been in the playoffs, and this is, you know, it's a popularity contest in all polls and all levels – that it is voted on, right? It, it doesn't matter if you're talking about college basketball, college baseball, at Division Two, one, whatever. Once you start making playoff runs, it's, you get to benefit of the doubt, right, wrong, and different. You, your name recognition helps, but there's sometimes where it's like, okay, you can drop them out, let them win a few more, and put them right back in, and let teams that are five and one that probably are way more deserving. And I mean, I'm not even for dropping Kennesaw State out because they're five and one, but you're sitting there and you're looking look at Villanova six and one compared to Kennesaw State's five and one. Like to me, who they played, who they beat, where you are. I mean, you could even argue that with North Carolina A and T. You could argue that with even a two loss team and Nichols and Furman because they'd be lost to two FBS teams, and they're undefeated at that level. So, I'm just really happy I'm Central just, Connecticut State is being heard from again. Because I am. I was quite sure that that. 15 seconds left, block punt when you're up one, where all you got to do is punt it away and the game's over, and they get it blocked, and it's returned for a touchdown against Eastern Michigan. I thought that was it. I had never heard of Central Connecticut State having a program before. I thought I'd never hear from them again after, and here they are. Oh, yeah, Joe Andruzzi is one of the, the best players ever come out of there. Was Joe Andruzzi, yeah, yeah. yeah. Former Patriot, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah guard, yeah, one cup Super Bowl. I was going to say yeah. guard or tackle, yeah. one of the two. He was a guard, yeah. 24-14 win for Central Connecticut State over Columbia, the most festive and fantastic way to attend the South <laughs> Do you know who their basketball coach is? Central Connecticut State. Do you know who their basketball coach is? No. Daniel Marshall. Really? Yeah. I former, love former Daniel Marshall. Guy, yeah. Okay. Former Connecticut guy, Little former Utah for Jazz, yeah. like great mid-range shooter, bang down low type guy. Lots and lots of movement this week in the top 25. Five new teams in Sac State, Austin P, Dartmouth, New Hampshire, and Central Connecticut State. Bad losses, big bumbles by Montana State and Delaware and NDSU and JMU. La- last thing, do you know who the, their top 10 matches? Do you know who the greatest basketball player to ever Please play? Stop this Central Connecticut State trivia. Joe Hughley. I don't care about any of this. He's their greatest? Well, he is in my mind. He's on HSU. <laughs> squad right now so i mean you know this week two ranked matchups montana at sacramento state number five at number 15 and new hampshire heads to a reeling delaware squad kind of a light week in the fcs in terms of ranked matchups. two right well i just said two and i named that, them, is there so two yes. yep is there two yes yeah, so there's two you want me to name them again yeah, montana, Santa, sacramento are you, state and new hampshire are you disappointed delaware squad are you disappointed vmi only has four votes they have votes they have, yeah, received votes. They have four. Well, you know how often that teams are voted on on four. name recognition. So I figured they would not get any votes yet because that name recognition four. not really there. You know, it took ETSU a while before they got ranked last year too. Well, and ETSU also didn't lose to Robert Morris. So, ooh, there is a good point. As Very good point. Yeah, as we're talking about like different scenarios and how VMI gets into the ooh. playoffs or how ETSU gets into the playoffs, that loss looms large for them, and that may be the difference between a playoff berth and not. You can't take those games lightly. Robert Morris, come on. Thursday, 7 o'clock. Tomorrow, that is. ETSU versus Chattanooga. 6.30 pregame show here on the – or 5.30 pregame show on the that Buccaneer way. Sports Network. Make sure you're there. 7 o'clock. Kick. Buccaneer Sports Network. Podcast Friday. See ya.